Hello and good morning. My name is Emily Austin and I am from the from the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee and you are listening to Faithfully Memphis for August 31st, 2029. Each week on Faithfully Memphis, we have conversations with people of faith and leaders here in Memphis and all over the world about the role that faith plays in their lives and the ways that they are exploring spirituality and celebrating the saints and the people of that great cloud of witnesses and just figuring out how do we how do we all inhabit this space together and this week I'm very pleased to have on the show the Reverend Gary Mead, who is the Interim Dean of St. Mary's Episcopal Cathedral here in Memphis. It's located on Poplar Avenue. It is the seat of our diocese of the Episcopal Church in West Tennessee. And I also have with me Mrs. Ann Boykin. Hey, Gary and Ann, how are you both today? Great, Emily. How are you doing today? I am doing okay. I'm doing all right. And I'm uh, really excited because we're heading into the fall, which means cooler weather. It means, um, you know, the we're, you know, hopefully at St. Mary's Cathedral, y'all are going to be dressing up the nave uh, with all the Halloween accoutrement soon. But before that happens, we're going to be celebrating uh, the commemoration of the martyrs of memphis and we've talked about the uh constance and her companions on faithfully memphis before um but it bears repeating um constance and her companions were a group of episcopal nuns and two priests right um who lived during the yellow fever epidemic in Memphis um, over a hundred years ago and cared for the sick uh, when very few others would and uh, lost their lives in doing so except for one there's one who who um, survived but it's it's a time where we think about that sacrifice and that just showing of love uh, that happened right here you know less than a mile from where we're sitting right now and that's what we're going to talk about today so yay wonderful although this this year as we celebrate martyrs weekend yeah uh, we've got we've got more on our calendar than just remembering that one event yes we've got something pretty special coming Uh, up on the ninth yeah yeah and we're going to be talking about that on the show today good and and yeah i'm i'm really excited to talk about the just resurgence and rebirth that St. Mary's Cathedral has 
uh, undertaken over the you know it's it's like we're always in a process of renewal all the time but sometimes that renewal is visualized and yes. I think that right now that visual at St. Mary's is there right absolutely but, absolutely but yeah but first let's talk let's talk about um, Constance and her companions Gary like you've you've been the dean which which the for those who may not know, a dean of a cathedral is like the head priest, right? right. You're the dean of the cathedral. You've been there for less than a year now. Um, you you took, you know, you came into this role earlier this year. And what I would be interested to know kind of what your thoughts on this very storied place in the Episcopal Church and within our diocese was coming in and how that may have changed to where uh, from where we're sitting today. Oh, that's a Emily, that's a great question. Uh, coming into the cathedral, I always saw it as this was a place where, of course, it's it's supposedly supposed to be the center of life of the diocese. It is the seat for the the bishop. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cathedral literally means the bishop's yeah. seat, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't understand it as community. Mm. And having been there now for seven months, eight months, I see it as more than just community. I see it as family. Yeah. St. Mary's is brought to life by a group of people who are tenacious in their love of the cathedral, infectious in their love for Christ, and outrageous in their desire to serve in the community. Yeah. And so to be to be brought in to be a part of, of that family and to be sort of swept up in that energy is really an extraordinary opportunity for me. And and as I see what we've been experiencing over the past several months of a uh, long process of renovation in our primary worship space, mm -hmm. which we call the nave. Mm -hmm. I see not just a renovation of a physical space, but along with that, a renewal uh, of the family that is St. Mary's Cathedral. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's an exciting time to be part of St. Mary's. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you are a longtime part of St. Mary's. I was born there. <laughs> really? And, and I grew up there. I was gone for uh, some years when I was uh, living in Florida. But when I came back um, in 99, mm -hmm. um, they say you can't go home again. But yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and um, St. Mary's has always been a, a special part of my life. Yeah. And I love what you said about uh, the group being infectious in their love for Christ and courageous intent tenacious in their service for Christ and we, we're not large in number but we are we certainly are that yeah um, I did not know going in that you have this lifelong connection to St. Mary's Cathedral and and I'm going to capitalize on that like tell me have the stories of Constance and her companions have have those been uh, I would imagine that's been an ever-present story throughout your life and your formation. Do you remember, like, how you perceived these this group of women and these two priests um, as when you were a child? When I was a child, I, I, not so much, but uh, I knew about them. We we knew about them. 
Um, the altar yeah. was there. Their names are on the steps of the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew the story of the yellow fever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was after uh, the national uh, convention in 1986. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the uh, the, the national convention, convention of, of the Episcopal, Episcopal Church. Church. Yeah, so that's, um, for those who might be listening, that's like our big a denominational uh, general assembly and meeting where it co- occurs twice every year, if I'm correct. Every three years. Every, every three, three years. years. So that's every right. Three years, yeah. I think it got kind of messed up during COVID. COVID. Mm-hmm. But if I'm remembering correctly, Gary, you're you're going. You've been and you're going. Right. This will be, my, I believe, my fifth general convention to attend. And that is the governing body of the Episcopal Church. And and it's during that, that convening that we that lots of business goes on but it's also a time where we decide as a denomination and as a larger body of faith who among us and who those figures are that we should commemorate and aspire to and you know when on faithfully memphis we always talk about you know our uh lesser feasts and fasts and our saying of the day well if there were that's constance right in 1986 yeah they voted to put Constance or Companions, yeah. the Martyrs of Memphis, on the Episcopal Church calendar. That's right. For September 9th, which was the uh, day that Constance yeah. uh, died. And I think it was then that the cathedral and the diocese began to commemorate them in a in a larger way. It wasn't just the story, it wasn't just the altar, but, but we're going to, we want this story out. Um, so that it can touch the lives of people all over the world right and it inspire it and it not just inspires but it i mean it does but it gives us some this is this is the roadmap that we need to follow when when all is at stake giving health and caring for the sick and the poor in a against an awful situation which was the yellow fever epidemic here in memphis which hit the poor in a way that it did not hit more affluent people this the they could leave they could leave they could leave and and thousands of people did leave and um there were three epidemics three yellow fever epidemics the first in 73 which was not as quite as bad as what came five years later right Right, and that changed. They changed the city of Memphis. Yeah, uh, in so many ways, we lost uh, so many people from death. We lost so many people who left, just like Katrina changed New Orleans. Right, um, and Memphis is is as is what it is as a result of that. We lost our city charter. Mm-hmm. Um, it took a long time for the city to to come back. But there were good things that came out of it too. Exactly. Yeah. Just like with the pandemic, it was horrible. But there were good things that came out of it. One of them was the electronics and Zoom yeah, and yeah. being able to communicate with people that we couldn't in person. Um, and there were good things that came out of um, of the yellow fever that helped Memphis get better, helped the country get better. It was 20 years later yeah. that they finally knew that all of this came from a mosquito. Yeah. Um, and then could do something to prevent that. Yeah. 
Yeah. For me, the, the story of Constance and her companions really hinges on, uh, and you, you said it, that, that the rich could leave. That when, especially in 1878, when it, when it swept back in with such ferocity, those who could fled, right? Those mm-hmm. who could fled. And at isn't that, that what we do now? Isn't that what we do? But isn't at that, that what we do now? But, yeah, I mean, but at that very moment, Constance and one of the other sisters <clears throat> uh, named Thecla mm-hmm. were in New York. They were based out of Peekskill, New York, is where the Sisters of St. Mary were. were. I'm, I'm so glad that we're bringing this up because I, earlier this year, um, Sister Hannah, who is the prioress um, at, at, of the Sisters of St. Mary's um, at Sewanee, she was on the show and she was talking a lot about, uh, and, and, and you know, as like she is in that lineage. And she was talking about how, and, and what struck me was that these were women who were not necessarily, and I'm using air quotes, they were not like one of us. They were from New York <laughs> and they came to Memphis. Not, I, I mean, I don't think they were coming, am I correct that they didn't come specifically to serve because of the yellow fever? They had already been here um, running a school and an orphanage, but but they were people who felt that call. They came to Memphis and then they served among us, and 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 that's huge to me. Well, and they they responded well outside their training and their experience. Their initial call was to come and work with with kids. We were helped found this school, St. Mary's mm-hmm. Episcopal School, which exists today. It's a beautiful school today, um, and of course work in this orphanage, help run this orphanage. They find themselves in a period of, of yellow fever, and they stepped up to the plate to, yeah. to, to serve in capacities that they had never even imagined. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying earlier, um, you know, they, they, met, they came from New York, and Constance and Thecla were in New York when that second wave of fever hit. Mm-hmm. Their first response, well, most of us, our first response was, ooh, glad I'm here. Yeah. Their first response was, when does the next train leave? Yeah. When can we get back there? And they were urged, you know, by the people who loved them, don't go. Yeah. We, we don't know how dangerous that is. You don't know what risk you're assuming. But they went. Mm-hmm. They went. And, and that is a witness that just speaks loudly to me, even today. I think that it's really stunning. And I think in some capacity we saw this in sharp relief during... Um, COVID, like the height of the COVID pandemic, but we see it often where when a community is in crisis, when things are not, when we, when we are faced with life or death situations of people that we may not even know that are essentially strangers, a lot of times it gives us the ability to walk outside of uh, our comfort zones and to and to give that kind of just sacrificial service for others who we may not even know and and I see that in them so okay let's you know I'm I'm assuming a lot uh, on for our listeners 
Uh, they may be like tuning in right now and not knowing what the heck we're talking about. Well, y'all just give me the Constance and her companions 101. Who were they? What? I- what who are these women? The, uh, young women, yes, right? Yes, they were. Yes, they were they young. Were. Who um, were they and what? who are the Sisters of St. Mary's? Well, the order was actually founded in 1865 mm-hmm. um, in New York. Um, there were five women who uh, had been part of another order, and uh, that one had kind of folded, and they became uh, the community of St. Mary. And they were nurses. Mm-hmm. They worked in hospital and uh, other places in New York City under horrible conditions. Um, but um, they, uh, I, I think it's very interesting that the Mother Superior, uh, Mother Harriet Cannon, was a friend from her youth of Bishop Charles Quintard, yeah. who was our the Bishop of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And it was his vision to start a school and to uh, continue running the church home, which was an orphanage that he had started after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And he communicated with Mother Harriet and asked that they come. And so in 1873, four came down here. Sister Constance, Sister Thecla, Sister Amelia, and Sister Huetta, who was a Memphian. She was from the Snowden family. She was a young novice. And their intention, the reason they came, was to start St. Mary's School. And Sister Amelia was going to run the orphanage. And before the school could open, the yellow fever of 1873 hit. And they were teachers. They were not nurses. And they were asked, you know, could you help? And they said yes. Totally out of their comfort zone. Totally out of their training. Mm -hmm. And in 1873, it wasn't quite as bad. As it, as it was in five years later. And people who were cared for um, could survive a lot of times. Yeah. And so what the sisters were doing was providing food. They'd visit. They could take care of holding someone's hand, taking care of children. Um, they could do what they could do. They stepped yeah. up to the plate. Yeah, and all of this, and all of this took, takes place within the larger context for them. Of uh, these are these are young ladies who have taken vows, religious vows, related to their faith and to the practice of their faith, meaning that they are in in they are steeped in prayer. They're lifted up in prayer. They're, they're gathering together for worship and for the receiving of holy communion. Um, is all integral to who they are. Um, and so it's not just that they were good people doing doing hard work. These were faithful, faithful people whose faith strengthened them mm-hmm. for the work that they felt called to do. Yeah. What they were doing wasn't just a, a hum, uh, humanitarian response. Yeah. It was a faith-based response of, of how do you live into that call to yes. love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and in that, we see an incredible example of what neighbor means. Yes. 
you know, it means the poor, it means the sick, it means the dying, it means the one who doesn't look like you, it means the one who, you know, who, who may not share your, your perspective. But if that someone is suffering, if that someone is in need, Constance and her companions so show us a great model of how you step into that moment as people of faith. Yeah. And I'm convinced um, myself that I don't think they could have accomplished what they did. They couldn't have endured what they endured, especially in the, the, the second wave of the, the epidemic that mm-hmm. was so catastrophic. I don't think they could have endured that without being grounded in faith and nourished in, in the spirit of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The, um, the Holy Com- Communion was so important to them. And that was one of the stipulations that Mother Harriet said before she let them come. She said to Bishop Quintard, now, is there going to be uh, the opportunity for them to have uh, their daily Holy Communion? And what other kind of support are they going to receive spiritually? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's so meaningful that that altar that we have that you're using to celebrate it's a small wooden altar it's not the big stone it. altar that's, that's at the right i was over at the, i was inside the cathedral yesterday and i saw that and i noticed that it hasn't it hasn't always been where it's located right now well it was it came to memphis with the sisters in 1870 really i did not know that and um and it went to Suwanee when the sisters left, and it it was for their chapel where they received communion. Yeah. yeah. And it went to Suwanee, among other places. It survived a fire in the convent at Suwanee up there. Um, it when the when the sisters built their new convent um, in the eighties, nineteen eighties. They used it there, and then they realized it was really too big for their small convent, and they sent it back to Memphis, knowing the history that it had been yeah. here and that, that we would put it to use. So when it first came, uh, it got some refurbishing yeah. and done. And then it was put over on the side in the cathedral, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but was able to be brought to the center yeah. for special times and i find it so meaningful that it's there now that the the big stone altar was given in memory of the sisters and was consecrated on pentecost of 1879 Mm -hmm. but this was they used this this is they used this and, and and we use it today. And we use it today. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what the high altar, as we call it, the, the beautiful marble altar, is is absolutely stunning. It is. Um, yeah. But as somebody who is the celebrant, as we say in the Episcopal world, the leader of, of, of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. of, the, of the worship, uh, my preference is I love being at the Sisters' altar, not only because of the historical connection, but because it's much closer to the people. And you can face the people. Right. Yeah, at the high altar, yeah. I'm fa- I would be facing away from the people while doing the Eucharistic prayer, mm-hmm. which has is, is filled with rich tradition and yes. history and symbolism, and I get that. Uh, but I still prefer being able, being closer to the congregation and being yeah. able to face them as we share in, in that Eucharistic prayer and that time of worship together. Yeah. Uh, 
but like I say, I mean, just being in that space, for one thing, the space is, is incredible, especially yeah. following the renovation. Yeah. But to be in that place with that, that strong, being reminded Sunday after Sunday, standing at that altar, remembering the history and the heritage of that place, what a foundation that provides for the work and the ministry that, that is, has been going on at St. Mary's for over 165 years yeah. and that we are continuing and hopefully building on for the future. Yeah, we're gonna go to a break and we'll be right back. Music has locations in Oxford and Jackson, Mississippi. Both shops are open seven days a week, specializing in new and used vinyl records and CDs. Do your old records need a new home? More information at endofallmusic.com. And we're back. This is Faithfully Memphis. My name is Emily Austin, and we are talking about the martyrs of Memphis. And um, we just heard a song or it's it's from our hymnal uh i sing a song of the saints of god and you were uh you asked that we thought about us playing that song tell me tell me what what's the specialness of that to you well i, I you know it used to be uh considered a children's song yeah yeah and i think when they were making the new hymnal they almost didn't put it in there because it's a little bit dated talking about the queen and tea and yes. trains and things but they said no it's a powerful it's a powerful hymn um that they live not only in ages past but they're hundreds of 
yeah. thousands still, and I want to be one too. When we were um, working to create the panels that are in the uh, Martyrs Hall at St. Mary's back in 2012 and 13. Those are like the exhibit the, type of like story panels. We wanted to tell yeah. the story because um, in a way, I mean, you can come in St. Mary's and you can see the altar and you can see the windows, but you don't know, you know, and, and uh, Dean Andy Andrews wanted some way to have the story out there for anybody yeah. that came in to see it. So a committee was working hard to create those panels, and that's where I really got into details about about the sisters and the, the yellow fever, and, and not just the sisters, but the other companions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other people in Memphis, uh, not just at the church, but the doctors and the Howard Association. It was the medical people. And, yeah. Uh, Annie Cook, who was a madam, and closed her brothel and opened it as a hotel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's buried out Elmwood too. It, we learned a lot of details, and, and those are saints. They are saints. They are, and and they were people who they were just plain old people just doing what they do. Exactly. I love that they are. We're all just. I mean, we're all plain old people showing up day after day. So that's a, that's special and um, yeah, it, it's been a kind of a, a one of my favorite hymns and a guiding light. Yeah, uh, I, I know because I grew up at St. Mary's and because I'm part of St. Mary's now, I am so privileged to know about the martyrs. But I know hundreds of saints that have come through St. Mary's, mm-hmm. and um, in this celebration that we're having on the ninth, um, I want. I'll be remembering them, yeah. people that not just in my life, but in in the lives of of the city and in the lives of lots of people. Um, so let's talk living about, and dead. Yeah, <laughs> living and dead. When when you were talking, when you guys were talking earlier about that table, that altar that has that has been a part of the like story of the. Constance and her companions for many years and now how you're celebrating the Eucharist from that table it just reminded me hearing you talk about it how I think that sometimes during the pandemic I would go down a path where it's like you it's like okay well we we, do we need our buildings do we need our things do all we need are each other and it's like yeah we do but the space that incarnational place and the fact that we are people and we worship in our bodies together at a table that we can put our hands on and we go into an actual space like saint mary's cathedral but it can be any kind of worship space that's part of what it is to be a human and I feel, and, and that is part of the experience that God gives us, right? And, and in a way, hearing you, Anne, talk about these people who make the church, whether they're here today, whether they're not with us anymore, whether they were there for a time and now they've moved on, that is what church is. That is what worship is. It is 
this incarnational peace that we can put our hands on. And, and that's where I think about September the 9th and what we're going to be doing at St. Mary's. It, that's where the hugeness of it is. We're rededicating this place in a way that says the resonance and the importance of what the body of Christ is, is still, it's still there, right? Well, it, very much so, very much so. I, I'll tell you something, I'll tell you a story. Before I started at, at, at the cathedral as, as the interim dean, a, a friend of mine, a fellow clergy person, raised the question, she said, you know, you guys are spending in the neighborhood of one and a half million dollars mm-hmm. on a building. Yeah. Why? And, and she was not being, you know, mean. She was not being unkind. She was asking a genuine question. Why spend that kind of money on a building? And the answer is, if we were only spending that money for a building, there's a lot there's so many other ways we could use those resources to bless other people. But it's not just a building. Mm. It is St. Mary's. And it is a place where people have been gathering for over 165 years. It has been committed to being a house of prayer for all people when needed, a house of healing. We are, on Saturday mornings, a house of feeding, reaching out to our neighbors. We are that place where, yes, we come together in that, in that physical space because that is where we find spiritual renewal and life. Yeah. You know, Anne, you mentioned the idea that the pandemic taught us that we could gather remotely. We could gather over Zoom and, and still have some semblance of community. But I will tell you something. When, when the renovations were wrapping up on the inside of the cathedral, which... Before the work began, you know, before January of this year, plaster was literally crumbling. Yeah. Paint was flaking off the walls. You, you'd get done with worship and you'd want to dust your shoulders off because you know, the little angelic snowfall yeah. would have been, been happening even during worship. Not only has that been restored, uh, and not only has the, has the interior been renewed with a new paint uh, scheme that is just glorious, the first Sunday when the scaffolding was out and we could invite people back in to see what the space was turning into, what it was becoming, I realized I couldn't ask people what they thought. I didn't need to because time and again I looked at people and they were literally tearing up. Yeah. Because for people who had been in that space for so long, to see it renewed in that way was, and to be back in that space was moving. We've been worshiping now just two Sundays back in that space, and it, it still has that, that thrill of, mm. of we are together. We are together in this amazing place. And it is not just the renovation of the building that matters. It's what it enables. It, what it, it's what that renovation empowers, that renewal in us. That's what counts. And I think that that is something I have to remind myself of is that in order to feed others in other in order to be the person who i think god has called me to be and to live in the walk of christ i 
I we we don't stand in isolation. We need to be fed. And sometimes that feeding happens in a place. It's not just about a church. It's about a place where you are inspired and called to be your best self. And and the way that I think about St. Mary's when I walk in after this renewal, my eyes go up. The ceiling it it is it's a beautiful soft blue color and in your eyes are just lifted and it's and you feel like even though you're in an enclosed space you are not uh you're not weighed down and contained well, it's not just the eyes that are drawn it is the spirit itself that is drawn heavenward and, in that space and that's and that, that's my sense of it and but you you have a longer association obviously with the cathedral than yeah. i do what what is what is your response to the work that's been going on the renovation of that space well i was i was blown away when i walked in there when i'd seen the scaffolding and all that stuff and then when it was gone it was like oh my goodness i, I grew up at saint mary's and so that was what a church was supposed to look like you know uh, and I've been in other uh, places around the, in Europe and cathedrals around the world. And I always compare it to St. Mary's and say, well, St. Mary's has it right in its simplicity and yet its gorgeousness. You know, it's not gaudy. It's not full of stuff. It's just beautiful. And um, I think I think that throughout human history, people have needed a place uh, where they can experience the holy and I I think that's why we wanted to spend one half million dollars on that yeah. that is a holy place it is uh, because of the people who have been there because of the ministry that has been carried out there because of the uh, gospel of Jesus that's been proclaimed and then put into action from that place um, people have been baptized there they have been married there they have been buried from there uh, it, it's it's full of, of of history and life and and the life of the Lord is there I love what Rebecca Stevens the priest in um, in Nashville when she goes into a church to to celebrate she takes off her shoes Mm-hmm. And she says, I do that because I'm standing on holy ground. And and I think I think all churches are that way, but especially I think that way of St. Mary's. That this is holy ground. It's holy ground for us. It was holy ground because these saints that we recognize on the church calendar, the martyrs of Memphis, they weren't in that building, but they were on that property. You know, that's holy ground. And, and they're with us still. And yes, they are. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> sometimes witness. felt and sometimes yeah. smelt. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I uh, will. Uh, I, I have to encourage everyone to listen to the episode of Faithfully Memphis that uh, Lisa McIndoe did with a sister Hannah, because they they talk a lot about uh 
the way that you can smell them and feel them there till the, to this day. So one of the things that I'm reminded of when I think about these women is that it didn't end with them. It, St. Mary's has a vi- like a huge history that dates past uh, you know the late 1800s with the yellow fever epidemic. And that will be included in the worship and honored in the worship and in the events of Martyrs Weekend on September the 9th. Gary, can you talk a little bit to that larger, uh, more maybe more recent history of St. Mary's and, and how that might be informing the events around September the 9th? Absolutely. Well, we viewed the, the, well, the planning committee that's been working together, and Anne has been part of this committee as well, as we've been planning for September 9th, which we are taking as the rededication of the space that we're, we're returning to after being out of there for some months. But rededicating ourselves to what? And to answer that question, we, need, we wanted to remind ourselves of what our heritage is. So we, we are over the course of the liturgy on September 9th, which is it's a Saturday. And mm-hmm. we'll begin at five o'clock, and everybody is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Everybody right? is welcome. We're going to have people there from various Episcopal churches, from other denominations, other faith uh, traditions. Even will be joining us on that day, and we're going to recount our history, starting with the founding, um, 165 years ago, recounting some of the major events, the role of St. Mary's and, the, and Constance and her companions during the Yellow uh, Fever epidemic. Uh, but we're going to remember other uh, really important moments along the way. For example, one of the most storied deans of the cathedral is a fellow named Dean Dimmick, who was dean at the time when there was the the, uh, the garbage workers' strike in Memphis in the 1960s. And it was February 12, 1968, that that strike began. Um, and as the strike developed and as that crisis deepened, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to Memphis to help try and mediate some sort of you know, re, uh, resolution to this. Meanwhile, Dean Dimmick had been meeting with other clergy leaders, other faith leaders on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that became the Downtown Churches Association, which, which exists uh, still today. Well, as we all know, Dr. King was assassinated um, on April 3rd. No, sorry, on April Four. 5th. Sorry, he came to Four. Memphis on the 3rd, was assassinated on the 5th Four. at the Lorraine Motel. A couple of days later, Dean Dimmick, again, meeting with the clergy, part of the regularly scheduled meeting, he picked up one of the processional crosses from the cathedral. And with that group of clergy, they marched to City Hall. They marched into the office of Mayor Henry Loeb, demanding a resolution of this strike uh, and taking that bold stand for civil rights, mm. saying this cannot be allowed to continue. Yeah. Now we we look on this in retrospect, and we go, what a what a what a what a noble thing to do, what a right stand to take. It's easy to say that in hindsight, but it was it was costly. Yeah, it was costly, as as I understand it. And Anne, correct me if I'm wrong, because Anne knows our history way better than I do. But as I understand it, half of the congregation walked out. I mean, because their dean had taken a political stand that was not universally popular, and so half of them walked out. In retrospect, we look at it and we go, how could anybody disagree with what he did? How could anybody disagree with standing up 
for what was right, for the rights of these workers, for better conditions, for better safety, for better pay. Um, and especially in, in a moment that is fueled by the anxieties and the fears mm-hmm. that the assassination of Dr. King just stoked and, wow. and brought, to the, brought to the fore in, in some very painful ways. So that's just an example, another moment in St. Mary's history where, gonna, where we remember that we gonna, we're going to stand up for what is needed, whether it is help in times of, of an epidemic, yeah. whether it is what is right in terms of questions regarding um, civil rights and just basic human rights and human dignity. Yeah, yeah. How, tell me a little bit about um, the different events around that weekend of September 9th and 10th. Um, it's not just gonna be the worship and that rededication on September the that Saturday evening, right? Right, it's, we are going to begin um, actually Saturday morning. Okay. Um, there's events actually Friday that are more internally focused, mm-hmm. sort of preparatory. Um, but Saturday morning, we do a regular a program, a ministry that I call Hope and Food, that we do nine o'clock every Saturday morning at the cathedral. Mm-hmm. We open the doors of our what we call the Sisters' Chapel, named mm-hmm. in honor, of course, of the sisters. Mm-hmm. At uh, and the doors open about quarter of nine. We have a lovely woman, Robin Branch, who plays flute. Mm-hmm. And our neighbors come in. We have a time of morning prayer starting at nine o'clock, mm-hmm. and then we offer what we call a brown bag breakfast, which is an opportunity for people to come through a line and pick out food that they would like out of various opportunities and, and selections that are available. So we're not giving them something prepackaged and pre-selected. They get to pick what they would like to have. We give them water if they want some water. We give them a cup of coffee if they want coffee. Uh, there's an opportunity for fellowship. So it's worship, food, fellowship mm-hmm. uh, within that. And what is extraordinary about that, Emily, is that this past Saturday, for example, just for the morning prayer element, which is entirely optional. Yeah. It's just if come if you would like. We had 38 people all together for wow. that, wow. Um, which is which is pretty pretty astonishing pretty astonishing number. And then we handed out close to I think 90 um, meals Wonderful. following that. Wonderful. So that's huge. On the ninth, that will be accompanied by a health fair as well okay. that we're doing as part of this weekend, in which. Um, our neighbors and anybody else who wishes can get their blood pressure checked, get their sugar level checked, talk with a nurse, get a flu shot if needed, um, be pointed in the direction of needed medical resources. Okay. Uh, we're going to have uh, little gift bags for our neighbors as well with some hygiene and other other things that, mm-hmm. that hopefully will bless their lives. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's in the morning. Saturday at 5 will be the, the, the uh, liturgy we're calling a celebration of remembrance and renewal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday, the 10th, that, that day is set aside specifically to remember Constance and her companions. Mm-hmm. We'll remember them on the 9th, but we're going to remember the whole of our history on the 9th. The 10th will be focused on that. Sister Hannah, the prioress of the community mm-hmm. of St. Mary's, will be, um, be with us and be preaching for us. Then following that service, we go to Elmwood Cemetery, yeah, where we yeah. have a bit of a, of a parish picnic. Yeah, and yeah. then we do a litany of remembrance at the graves of the sisters. We remember their sacrifice, and we we pay honor to them in their place, in their final resting place. That's right, because that's where they're that's where they are. That's yeah. where they where yeah. they rest now. So it's it's going to be for for us for us at St. Mary's a very full weekend. Yeah, but yeah. but one that's going to be by turns glorious and joyous, and oh maybe you know we'll have our moments of of. Well, I got to catch my breath because yeah. this is this is a deep and profound moment of yeah. remembrance as well. And so we, and and. 
I, like you said, everyone is invited. Everyone is encouraged to come on that. Well, anytime, but especially that Saturday. Well, evening. especially for this celebration, it, it, we have um, in the crossing in this center in, this, in our center aisle. We've got a beautiful uh, baptismal font that uh, has different symbols around the edges of it, and one of them is a star of David. Yeah, I've you noticed might, you that before. Think, Why yeah. do we have a star of David? on a Christian baptismal, I mean, that's a, that's a particularly Jewish symbol. What is what is it doing in a Christian cathedral? And I'll, I'll bet you know the answer to that. Actually, I don't. You don't? Oh, <laughs> wait, there's something about, oh, oh I, wow. I have okay. to write this day down. There's something I, I, I know that Anne did not yet know. Uh, the story, as I heard it, Anne, is that that's there because when the, when the cathedral as it exists today was being built and the cathedral that we worship in today was completed and consecrated in 1926 funding for that construction came from all over not just from the community of, of saint mary's cathedral parish but but from around the diocese and even considerable funding from our jewish brothers and sisters mm -hmm. wow because they understood the value of having a place of worship like saint mary's cathedral they recognized the centrality or the importance of its mission and witness to God's work, not necessarily Christian work specifically, but God's work within that community. And so we honor their contribution, without which St. Mary's really wouldn't exist as it does today. Yeah. So we honor that, that contribution from our Jewish brothers and sisters. And it's right there on the side of our baptismal font. And I get to see it every day I pass I through that, that space. I love that story. I had never heard that story. Yeah. In fact, there's symbols all over that church that, that oh. I don't even know are there. Uh, <laughs> we were. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't mean to throw shade at any denomination, but that said, I was in the cathedral yesterday, and um, as a person who is very ADHD, and like that has been something that has been a part of my life for my entire life. I grew up in a, a tradition that was not the Episcopal Church, where uh, the worship space was very sparse. And that's fine, that's great for some. But I was thinking, and I was talking to my friend about how if I were worshiping, and that's one of the things I love about St. Mary's, is that sometimes it's hard to listen, sometimes it's hard to engage, sometimes your mind goes faster than, than the rest of you that the visual of the cathedral and the symbols that are there that is huge it it really kind of iterates why stained glass was an integral part of you know medieval churches before folks could necessarily like literacy was there um it, it, it just shows how art and those symbols um, are, are there and they speak to a larger, the large beauty of God. Mm. What's next for St. Mary's Cathedral? What's next? That's a, that is an excellent question. What is next for St. Mary's Cathedral? To answer that, we need to remember... A, we need to start with what was, 
which is why on the 9th we're going to do that recounting, that retelling of history, mm-hmm. to bring us to the present and to, to a time of, of rededication, rededicating not just our space but ourselves, and to what? For me, that answer is very simple. You know, Jesus wasn't once asked, what's the greatest commandment? There was a softball of a question if there ever was one, right? Because every good Jew knew, knows the great Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And then from Leviticus, second commandment is like it. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. Yeah. Those are the two commandments. And so for me, everything that I do as a Christian, everything that we should be doing as cathedral should be grounded in how are we worshiping God? And the cathedral gives us a particularly glorious space in which to do that. And then how is, how is that being, how is that empowering us to go into the world to love our neighbor? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a tremendous heritage of doing so, as, as exemplified by certainly Constance and, and the other sisters and the other companions. Uh, but that, that work continues today with our Saturday ministry. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that that is just the beginning, that, that that's prelude to what, what is yet to come. I want to see, as my hope is, that we will continue to build on that heritage, to continue to build on how we gather in worship and in praise, how we, we reach out to our community, to our neighbors, to those around us in the diocese, in other faith communities, to those of, I think it was Bishop Gaylor who talked about being, it's important that we are a place of welcome to people of all creeds mm-hmm. and of no creed. Um, that, that to be a house of prayer for all people need, means we need to be for all people. So I think that's, that's part of sort of hardwired into the, the DNA, if you will, of, of who St. Mary's is. And moving forward, I hope we just live more fully into that um, day by day. And I, and, I, and I say this with great assurance, knowing that we can do so for two good reasons. One, we've got a great and an amazing God who empowers us to do great and amazing things mm. as God empowered Constance and her companions during the yellow fever. Mm. Mm. But I've come to know in the last seven months or so a great and wonderful group of, of parishioners at St. Mary's uh, with whom I'm absolutely privi- privileged to share in ministry. Uh, wonderful folks like Ann Boykin here who uh, not only does she know her history uh, and, and knows the story of the, of the sisters so well, but she also has her own ministry of reaching out to care for those in need in the community. Yeah. Um, our own pastoral care ministry that she is quietly but very effectively um, helping to lead at that place. And to be in, in, in community with and to share ministry with folks like Anne and so many others at the cathedral. Yeah. Wow. We, there's nothing but great stuff ahead of us. Yeah. We are so thankful to have Gary. Wow. <laughs> Y'all are both pretty great. Could I could I read something? Please um, do. When I was uh, when we were working on those panels and learning so much more about the history of the martyrs and everything, um, we, we there was a lot of primary sources that that we came across, and and they are available online. If anybody wants more detail, they can just Google uh, Yellow Fever, Sisters of Saint Mary, mm-hmm. Memphis. It's all there, um, but this was part of the um, what they call the, the Canterbury uh, project um, and this was we did we did a, a dramatic reading presentation a couple of times and this was the way that we ended it and, um, and now it is over shall we say that we are left with nothing except a brief and imperfect record a tender memory of those who are passed away 
Is it not true that although dead, they speak to us more distinctly than before, that they are actually more powerful than when they were among us, and that in the spirit they are still present with us? Side by side they are lying far away in the cemetery, at rest after the dread ordeal of those fearful days, and from that lowly bed in the dust they rule our hearts and come forth to visit us in our dreams and help us in our pilgrimage. They witness to him, Jesus, in their life and in their death, and we know that their witness is true. Then may their faith be also ours. As they thought, so may we think. And as they walked, so let us ask the grace to also walk, if it be God's will. Amen. I was going to ask you to give us a last word, mm-hmm. and that's what and you already had one. That's perfect. It's yeah, perfect. beautiful, isn't it? Thank you so much, Anne Boykin and Gary Mead. Thank you, Emily. It's thank been you. wonderful to have you on Faithfully Memphis. It's been and to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being on. And you can find all the information about Martyrs Weekend and the rededication of Remembrance and Celebration at, at uh, St. Mary's Cathedral. Uh, on our website on St. Mary's website um, I'll put them I'll put all the information in our show notes as well I want to thank you all for listening and for joining us for Faithfully Memphis you can listen to past episodes of our show wherever you listen to podcasts Apple Podcasts Spotify all the usual places if you like our show please give us a thumbs up give us a positive review and that helps us to spread the word about what we're doing my name is emily austin and until next week i ask you please stay safe and please stay positive